0: So pose estimation is basically kinematically tracking movement using AI algorithms. Oh yeah. So That's there are a, a couple theory out theory. there. Yeah. yeah, and you know, as I said, I'm, I'm working with the NSA tech, and um, it's a Qatar couple years now trying to develop a, a, a solution for movement tracking. I think some of them work very well, single camera. Uh, easy to use very coach friendly and will give you some really good information
1: hello and welcome to the prepare like a pro podcast make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my youtube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview i hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this
2: episode let's go Hello and welcome to the high-performance podcast for AFL staff and athletes. I'm the host, Jack McLean, and today I'm lucky enough to have my guest is Dr. Phil Graham-Smith. We'll be discussing everything you need to know when it comes to high-performance programming, utilizing the secrets of biomechanics. So make sure coaches to get your notepads out and of course athletes as well. There'll be some real key technical models that we can discuss that you can apply to your training If you're tuning in live, feel free to use the comment section below and text in some questions for Phil and I'm sure we can find some time a little bit later on. But thanks for jumping on on the other side of the world. Wednesday night, Phil, really appreciate your time, mate.
0: No problem. Thanks for having me.
2: Looking forward to this. Likewise, yeah. Looking forward to the chat. As I mentioned, Sam Joseph, a colleague of mine, recommended I have you on when I caught up with him at the ASCA conference. and You were the top of the list, so I've done a little bit of listening with with recent interviews, mate, and really looking forward to yeah, sharing your experience in sport, but also obviously with technology and, and in biomechanics. But I guess for the listeners that aren't aware of your background field, do you mind providing us both from an academic and practical point of view, um, some experiences you've done along the way? Yes,
0: yeah, sure. Background is I would I would find it hard to say I'm an elch a- but uh, I'm you know through and through biomechanist worked with athletics, in particular sprints, long jump, triple jumpers, high jumpers for many, many years, 30 years, I think now, to be honest. And throughout that time, i found linking in with physios and S&C coaches, understanding more about their world has helped me become a much better practitioner. I think you are, you're in a position like a biomechanist. You can actually bring a lot of disciplines and professions together and then unite together neatly with the coach and athletes to achieve some great things. So <clears throat> we'll get onto that, I think, uh, later on. But my background, I uh, graduated in Liverpool Polytechnic back in 1992, and was fortunate enough to work then uh, on a, a programme with the, the British Athletics Federation, as it was then back in 1992. Uh, and I continued to work with them through the various iterations with UK Athletics, uh, un- until I left uh, the country in 2013, when I went to Aspire Academy. Uh, but alongside all that, I was an academic. Liverpool Jumbos University. Then I went over to Salford Uni. Within a few years of being at Salford Uni, I became the director, the head of department. And it was there where I was able to realize a vision of setting up one of, if not the first SNC programs in the country. And Martin Matthews and myself, together, we, we got I the National Strength and Conditioning Association of America and became the first undergrad program that graduates could actually leave with the CSCS qualification. So S&C became quite a, a mainstay in my life from around about 2003. Got the CSCS, maintained that and did my CPD, all that sort of stuff. We then went on, you know, we employed Paul Comfort, and then he took it on to the master's level, and and I think most people would agree that Salford has become one of the focal points of excellence in strength and conditioning around the world now. You know, Paul went on to do some good work with some of the younger guys there. But then in 2013, um, I went to Aspire Academy in Qatar, and I left there just two months ago, two months to the day. Uh, to take up a position at Mandleton University as a reader in biomechanics and innovation. So 10 and a half years in the desert, met some outstanding practitioners there, S&C coaches, physios. And I guess it's through them that they helped me develop, you know, one in particular, I think it probably comes into one of your next questions, actually, Alex Natira is someone I met there, loved the guy, you know, he, he fed me basically and I think through him you know I've actually grown as a biomechanist you know feeding me with the right questions and so having, having someone like that uh, working alongside you to, to develop solutions and answers to coaching problems be it athletics coaching or S&C coaching I think uh, is, is your bread and butter as an applied biomechanist yeah back in the UK now settling back into an academic role which so far so good <laughs> I you know, getting back into the classroom again.
2: Yeah, sure. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Great segue. So, Alex's, I suppose, listeners I imagine be are familiar with Alex's work. Who else have been some sort of strong influences, mentors, if you like, over your career? Yeah, influence your philosophy.
0: Well, it has to go back really to, as, as I said, I'm a biomechanist thrown through. And through. And it, it has to be Adrian Lees, Professor Adrian Lees from Liverpool John Moores University. He's probably the man who not only gave me the opportunity after graduating at Liverpool, he gave me um, the skills, the competencies, the know-how of, of technology, force platforms, for example. You know, we, we weren't using iPhones and we were using high-speed cine cameras. You know, we were digitising manually. You know, it was a, a completely different world back then. But Adrian was a guy who, who fed me the, the skills and the competences and gave me the opportunity to work with UK Athletics back then. He was my PhD supervisor. And, and I guess a lot of the way we sort of jointly came up with the, the secrets of, of being impactful in sport. There were many similar programs in athletics, some at Manchester Met, where I am now with throwers, uh, some at Leeds, Leeds Beckett, some at Brunel and, and other sports. And we were the only one really that continued way into the end of the 1990s, into the 2000s of working with, with athletes and providing continuous support to them. So I, I'd always be thankful to Adrian there. You know, and as I alluded to then, it, it's then the coaches that feed your practical application they feed you the questions so you know alex is, a, is a, a key example there other ones you know people i know chris bradner and swiss evan the physio and swiss you know the, these guys over at aspire or asparta would be feeding the the questions of you know how can you assess this what does this mean you know one, one of the big ones that alex gave was if if i've got an athlete who can who can squat hundred kilos on two legs, does that mean he can squat fifty kilos on a single leg? You know, and I said, No, it's not it's not possible. He goes, I knew that, but why? Alex was a, a why man, you know, why, but why? And 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 I just sat down and, you know, I think there's one of the things that, you know, we can maybe we can go and jump on the force plates and test it. I said, I don't need to do that. You know, we can relate to fundamental biomechanical concepts and just by simply looking at Segmental mass distributions, and, and we created a, an answer straight away uh, within half an hour. And, and when we did test it on the force plates, and, and Chris then went on to do more looking at different variations of, of single leg work, they were very, very close to, to what the, the segmental route gave us. So I think, you know, get, getting the right people in your team working, you know, with a desire to help performance of an athlete help develop performance you get the right questions, you can filter out the nonsense, get to the point quickly, which is another, another factor, you've got to do it quickly. You can't put together a research program and wait three months for it to get ethically approved and, you know, and then a year or two later you put a paper out and then you give your feedback. This is about understanding fundamental principles of physiology, biomechanics, S&C, if you understand those fundamentals, you can, you can answer questions very quickly. For me, the research side of it is the icing on the cake. It's the confirmation. And I, I don't think really, in, in all honesty, in biomechanics, I don't think there's anything outlandishly new to feed into, into S&C. I think maybe maybe the, 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 the next thing to understand in relation to injury is recovery more than how to get people stronger and faster. I think recovery might be the, the next big breakthrough, which has more links with the, the physiologist then, I guess. As I said, you know, we, we need answers quickly. Unde- und- understanding the fundamentals can get you that without actually going to the lab to do any testing. So, you know, I, I had all the gadgets anyone could have in, in Aspire. And bottom line is I had force plates and a high-speed video camera on my phone. That, that covered 90% of, of my provision to athletes. You know, keep, keep it simple.
3: Hi there, my name's Rama and I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I don't think I've ever delved into a piece of Prepare Like A Pro content without feeling absolutely inspired to not only be a better coach, but a better athlete and a better person. With Prepare Like A Pro, I have instantaneous access to a world of in-depth knowledge and expertise from not only Jack McLean himself, but a range of other strength and conditioning coaches, doctors, physios, dietitians, and a whole lot more. There really is nothing like this. And that is why I love being a part of the Prepare Like a Pro Academy community.
2: And like you mentioned the time, in that environment is so critical. So being able to have that access to information quickly, uh, knowledge to be able to then give the athlete feedback then in there uh, is pretty important. Is that something that, you know, in terms of the evolution of force was, was sort of front of mind as someone that was using force plates throughout your career,
0: you're beginning yeah, uh, process? In many, many years ago, as a, as a young guy coming out of school, my dad worked at a kitchen manufacturing company and he gave me a job or he managed to get me a job in the summer and it was working on the production line, filling boxes, you know, packaging. And I'm I'm thinking this is hard work, this. Turning around, putting this in the box, then turning there, put it, I thought, I can make my workflow a lot quicker here. And that's the same principle that came through with, with Force Decks. At squad weekends with the jumpers, I'd I'd be doing drop jumps from 20 and 40, squat jumps, counter-movement jumps. 40 meter sprint tests on the LAVEC, then doing some, you know, different tests in into the sandpit, standing and long jump and various things. And I'm spending hours crunching that data in an Excel spreadsheet. And I'm thinking, how can I how can how can I become more efficient? And sure. and the the other side of it was going into football clubs and rugby clubs, and I'm hearing that there's not really much connection between science and medicine. We used to hear back in the early to mid 2000s it's a medically driven program it's a science it's a performance driven program it wasn't simply performance in the sense of athletes need to be you know better physically but they also need to be more robust that that synergy didn't exist it was can you do a jump test for me today yeah but i did that for the physios 2 days ago why am i doing it again well, i did it for the scs i did for the physio why am i doing it again then you get some Half cock jump that nobody's really interested in because they didn't perform it well. So I'm thinking, hang on a minute, these guys aren't talking. You need to do it once and do it well. So let's get the bilateral plates to look at asymmetries from a physio perspective, return to play, add the forces together to get the performance output measures of peak power, jump height, you know, RFD, whatever it might have been back then. So that's where ForceX came about. Really, is a solution to become more efficient and to help communication and be a little bit more empathetic to the players themselves. And you know, I think ForceX is something that will I will always be immensely proud of uh, the way it's taken off globally, and and a lot of the credit there to my co-founder there, Dan Cohen, who did a lot of the donkey work. Leg work, traveling around America, doing all the you know the the conferences, the the shows, and you know he really was the heartbeat of it. I had I had the nice side of things of understanding force time curves and creating algorithms to auto detect you know which made you know obviously helped create a nice user experience, which I, I do still believe is is one of the things that make it the probably the best force plate product out there. It's, it's user Efficiency, less clicks of a button, uh, the, the intuitiveness of it, if you like. Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah, it's taken off and, yeah, I can understand why it'd be something you look back on and pretty proudly of. It's definitely made a big impact on uh, many listeners, no doubt, now in elite sport but also in the private practice, uh, being able to access technology pretty easily, not be overwhelmed from it, you know, and how to use it, and then, like you said, being able to spend hours and hours crunching the data but be able to apply it then and there with the effort oh, solved a big problem.
0: But I think what, what comes with that, it, there's a negative side to that. And, you know, maybe this is the older, dare I say, wiser guy that I've become over the years. I think we opened up force plates to a wider community. You know, traditionally they were they were the, the tool of the biomechanics. And over the years, and, and, and credit to Rob Newton and the system that he created Prior to force Dex, Uh there was a lot of old systems hanging around in in clubs, institutes around the world, particularly UK. I you know where I was going into and there was there was a force place there sat in cupboards. They weren't being used because the expertise around processing force data wasn't there, or the confidence wasn't there. So I, I guess that's what we we tried to create was to sort of liberate all these <laughs> these force platforms in the in cupboards. And then people who had Force Plates, Kistler's Amptis Vertex, you know, creating that link to uh, through the force software, which essentially was the 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 first thing we went to create a, a software solution, not necessarily hardware. The hardware came at a different date. So yeah, but the the downside of it is you've now got people, uh, uh, and uh, not necessarily criticizing this. There's a lot of overthinking going on creating new new variables, you know, that really aren't that that valid, I'd say. And you, you've now got a whole ton of experts of of force-deck force, force deck or force-plate users who I think possibly can be complexifying what they're getting out of it, it's, you know.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. What, 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 would, what variables would spring front of mind that you've sort of picked up on, it um, on this yeah. that perhaps...
0: I... When we when we were at university way back in the you know late nineties, we were taught by engineers and physicists, not by mechanist sports scientists. And one of the very first sessions we had was looking at dimensions. You know what are units? You know what what are they? You know what is the definition of of a, of a certain dimension? And when you start putting variables together so that, you know, I think there's maybe 180 plus variables that we can get out of four stacks. Not all of them are relevant because it's, some of it is breaking the curve down to the time at which onset of movement occurs at the time. It, th- those tend to be used to derive other variables like movement time, flight time. But, so there's a whole lot of variable. But the, the first thing when you, you're looking at data, you can't just make magic numbers up. I'll, I'll just divide this by that. So one of my well, well, there's there's two things I guess. One is RSI modified. I despise that metric. It's become so popular, it, and I don't know who came up with it. So this is not having a pop at anyone. I just don't know where it came from. Really dimensional analysis. Flight jump height is in meters. Divide that by contraction time or movement time, which is seconds. Mo- divided by second is meters per second. Which is speed, velocity. That is not velocity. So a, 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 a metric has been created that is has got the same units as another variable, velocity, but it's not velocity. So therefore, I, I I struggle to see how that has been got so much traction in in a scientific community of S and C coaches when for me it's a flawed a flawed variable. Yeah, so then, no. so do you think because it's so accessible, it's got a little bit
2: out of hand now, where anyone can pick it up and use it and yeah, I, I, process it?
0: I'm all I'm all for creativity. I, I've got a creative mind myself, but I think what you do need is sense checks be, before. And and I know, and and again, I I, I hate myself for saying this because I don't want to be the old guy who's who's criticizing the young ones. I I'm all for creativity, but sense checks have got to be in place. And it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's about just thinking of something and working it all out. Spend time to process it, reflect on it, change it, refine it before you start putting it out on social media as being the next best thing. I mean, that, that would be my wisdom you know, to the younger generation, I guess. I think what, you know, what I've, I've heard from people in the past, the, the, the humble people, who went out big time on publishing things and, and now nowadays it, the equivalent of that is probably the social media. There was one very eminent researcher who actually stood up once and said you know what all that stuff I did in the past as a younger academic it was absolute nonsense you know but that the problem is that's, in, that's a body of evidence now or that's been used as an evidence base and I think we can get consumed at times with evidence base when the evidence really is not that good so that there is a, a word of caution there, I guess. for be creative, but please put your sense checks in. You know, spend yeah, time take, on take your time, to. It. Mm. Yeah, and 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 again, I, I don't mean to be critical. You know, I'm I'm just the older guy now, sort of trying to instill some wisdom in in these younger guys. I mean, I, I'll, I'll oh, give 100%. you another example. I'll give you another example. Isometric mid thigh pull. We know that you can get bigger scores doing an ISO squat An ISO mid thigh pull has gained so much traction, so much traction. And, and it, see, it's clear, easy to fly, so you're, you know, it's a pull, it's a lift, you know, it's, it's like doing a deadlift, isn't it? You know, from, from, you know, mid range, it's easy to administer, but the, 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 the con, the consistency of positioning, you know, the, you're not looking at, you know, like for like between two athletes their positions are very different. The bar could be near the hips on one, could be nearer the knee on the other. The trunk could be forward, could be upright. And you're relying on strength and you know energy absorption through wrists, elbows, shoulders, uh, all the way through. But my biggest concern is when you start then using that for doing DSI, you know, your dynamic strength index, the purest measure of DSI, the purest measure has got to be squat jump over an iso squat no eccentric movement in a a counter movement jump no stretch shortening cycle it's purely concentric against your your isometric squat in that same position everything else every other metric is contaminated in the sense of you don't know really what you're measuring you start looking at a myth by pull as i said it's a it's a it's a pull push rather than just a push you know your squat jump is just a is just a push against the ground versus stretch shortening push, you know. So what, what you're looking at, okay, you may get some nice different ranges, you know, if it's above 0.8, it's below point 0.6, you know, you might be able to make some inferences from it. But for, for me, I would be saying, like when we first developed the isosquat way back in the, the late 90s, you know, think it through. You know, don't just go latch onto counter movement and a myth I pose because everybody seems to be using them. You know, just think think it through from the the attributes that you're testing rather than just jumping onto a bandwagon.
2: And, yeah, for, for those listening in that <clears throat> like you said, you get caught up with what you see on social media and and you can start to just follow that bandwagon. when going through and trying to take a more of a calculated approach. Uh, and uh, what, like, fundamentally, what would be the key areas of, of uh, I guess, biomechanics that we want to understand before, you know, creating your battery of tests? Do you think key areas we're yeah, looking into?
0: Yeah. I mean, years ago, and, and this is the first thing I did in, in the first couple of months I went to Aspire. For me, the baseline when I went to Aspire was so low, I, I couldn't believe, you know, what they were really doing. There was no sports specific testing been done with, with athletes so you know when i arrived the first thing we did was a needs analysis we looked at each sport that we worked with each event group in athletics and said what are the characteristics of this of this sport or this event all aspects holistically biomechanics s and c psychology nutrition you name it what's the work rest ratios what's what's the you know the the physical attributes and from that then we, we were able to hone in on what you know the top 10 qualities are that we're looking for. then you create the tests that are, are accurate fast preferably you can you know stuff you can do and get information that you can use straight away so that has implications on the technologies you use and you build up this profile of attributes rather than just thinking that a counter movement jump can give you everything which is is not the case you know. I've heard, you know, counter-movement eccentric peak velocity in a counter-movement jump is being assimilated to deceleration in the change of direction task. And I'm like, oh, my word, it can't be. The, the, the level and intensity of it, self-selected versus, you know, decelerating from high speed are not the same things. It, what the, the characteristics are of the, the sport and then find a way of measuring it in the best way safest most accurate way possible that that would be the advice and and if it means doing a maximal strength test rather than looking at a peak force in a squat jump you, you do a, an isometric test then you're looking at well which one's better you know is it an iso squat is it, is it biodex you know isokinetics I would still use biodex isokinetics to this day for getting good measures of eccentric quads and hamstring strength that would be my metric Second to that, I would then be looking at ISO tests, be it ISO squats or, or even looking at uh, joint positions in a, a Spanish squat, you know, to get an estimation of knee joint load rather than just doing a mid-thigh pull. Because for me, things get contaminated along, along the way. And if you can keep it as pure in, in terms of, you know, the principles of, of muscle length, you know, then you know joint you know joint specific angles. Yeah, I think you're going to get closer to that transfer into performance. Yeah,
2: yeah. So that yeah, there's, a bit, there's a bit there, but the, I guess that the key takeaways I've, I've, I noted down there was first one is that having a clear needs analysis, understanding the characteristics of the sport. Number two, creating an accurate and and fast, reliable test uh, with your team. So that's quite a holistic approach. Biomech, physiologists, everyone's coming together. um... With all their different, I guess, perspectives and, and cur- coming a test that you're, you're looking at, that makes sense. Like you mentioned earlier, for the athlete's point of view, you're not doubling up, and they're going through a, a process where they feel like no one's talking, everyone's on the same page, and everyone's getting what they need, and it's concise for the athlete. And then three, pro- then you're ultimately getting a profile of attributes that you're, you're designing a program from. And then when you're looking at those sort of so tests, so it is specific. Like you mentioned the example of counter movement and comparing that to a deceleration, and how the intensities are way off. How? What, uh, for for a quick and accurate test, are you prioritizing? I guess looking at the outputs of the athlete at, in the closest joint angles that you can, with the closest velocity you can for that characteristic of the sport, and sort of you're looking at that compared to, I guess the kinematics of the movement. Or do you sort of try and get some tests where you're looking at kinematics of their movement by filming them in training and and from a biomech point of view as well, looking at how they how they train and perform.
0: Yeah, I mean. We've been through the, old, you know, that other hack a few years, you know, everyone was talking about functional, functional training, functional testing, this, that, and other. you can't, I, I had, I had a, an S&C guy working with some jumpers many years ago who convinced the coaches that doing drop jumps, they had to have contact time of one of a second. And that's just unachievable to do it properly. The, the difference was a, a lack of understanding on the behalf of the s coach is that the reason why a takeoff is 0.1 of a second or you know, up to 0.18 in the jump phase of a triple jump, the reason why those contact times are so short is because of the horizontal speed. Now, if you remove the horizontal speed and you put someone on a 40-centimeter block and say, I want you to do a 0.1-second contact, you ain't going to get a decent contact. So th- this is where you can use data badly. You know, so establishing norms for, for a 40 centimeter drop jump, I wouldn't want to see anything more than point two of a second. That is achievable and still being able to perform at the in, in the right way. Flat foot contact, not too much collapse, good control. So that that's where our, our reference points come in and the normative data. So that that's for me is how you would use numbers well to point one of a second on the 40 centimeter drop jump they're going to be landing on the toes and not doing much from the ground you know yeah not getting
2: high yeah yeah scenario there to, to unpack and, and like you said how you can easily get too complicated sometimes when you're in the in the thicker things when things are moving too fast
0: and you try to get overly specific and you lose your principles it comes in many forms i mean you know, I, I wrote an article with some colleagues at Salford many years ago. We, we ran some workshops for, for BASIS, the British Association of Sport and Exercise Sciences, on application of biomechanics into S&C. And we wrote an article around spe- movement specificity. What does it mean from a biomechanics point? I think I think it's in Professional Strength and Conditioning Journal, Well, we looked yeah, at, the, look at it. The, the, yeah, the, the various qualities that you'd be looking for, trying to map exercises onto the skill. So you, you'd be looking at say a long jump and you say, well, you know, how, how much horizontal speed would there be? How much vertical speed, rotational speed? Uh, some of it might have zero uh, influence, but rotational speed in the long jump is not, not, you know, not, it's not relevant, but horizontal and vertical is. Then you'd look at the, you know, what would be the typical knee movements, knee power, what are the muscle lengths, age? angles of muscle in perish of these qualities force velocity it size onto that so we created this little movement specificity framework where you'd be looking how does a deadlift compare uh, to a long jump and it might have a, a movement specificity ratio of about three you know doing a doing a long jump yeah, at okay. full speed would be a hundred percent but it's not about yeah, just yeah. selecting things that are 190% and up. It's about understanding what the attributes you're looking for. Do I want something with stretch shortening cycles? Do I want to overload the, the, the quads and the hamstrings in a certain way or the, or the calf muscles? It's not to say that they're not important because they've got a low ratio. It's just how and where do you put them into your program? That That's the key, I think. So you've got a good solid rationale of of where an exercise fits in and if there's a choice between you know doing an isolated movement or doing something you know open chain closed chain whatever you can select which one has more merit from a, a time saving point of view uh, as much as anything what what would you get more bang for your buck with uh, you, you what you're going to you do is to you, you justify its its position in the program based on something rational and uh, again that's another way to get a bit of buy in you know, I can, if you've got a coach who's adamant, this is my go-to exercise, then, well, have you, have you thought about this? Because you get this and that from it, you know, and we don't have to do double of it. You don't have to do that and that. We can just do this one exercise. It's maybe a little bit smarter in, in the way you do things. So, you know, th- these, are, these are good questions to be having with coaches. It helps, it helps build that knowledge exchange. It helps build the trust, the relationship. And at the end of the day, we all know coach is king. You know they go with what they they want. But at least you've had that conversation. And you know a year or whatever down the line, they might go, you know what? Maybe we should try that now. So it's just about being patient, not you know trying to run before you can walk, and you know gradual steps. But communication, talking about their events, their sport, showing interest. These are just basics. So of getting some bang, you've got to show them that you're actually invested in their, in their sport as much as they are.
2: Back, you mentioned isokinetic testing, and now that's something that you really value for the quad hamstring. Do you mind going into a little bit more about that? What,
0: yeah. How that feeds um, into your decision making? Back to, you know, what, why have I got involved in, in changing direction stuff? Well, my PhD was in long and triple jump. That is changing direction. It's from horizontal to vertical changing direction acl injury risk agility all this type of stuff is also changing direction on a horizontal platform but the mechanisms and the body movements are similar up until the point of contact and the early part of 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 contact the, the knee flexion part absolutely identical if you want to break harder it's the same as how you would prepare for a long jump takeoff you know you come in at speed and you break what we used to do was measure yeah, eccentric quad strength and hamstring strength using Biodex or, or other LIDO on various isokinetic machines. It gave us the, the the safest, in my opinion, the safest and most accurate data on eccentric strength of quads and hamstrings. When we had to move away from universities for, for testing and moved into high-performance centers, they didn't all have isokinetics. So this is where we started looking at how else can we get a measure of of, of leg strength. We used a concept to dyno machine to start with, and then that led to the the isosquat when we used portable force plates. So that was how we'd move from isokinetics, tried something different, reflected on it, moved to isosquat. Mid thigh pulls were in the equation then, but you know isosquat became the thing. Where do, where do both sit? Well, we've got normative values. If I'm testing adaptations to training, I'd probably just use the, the, the iso squat. If I'm looking at something specific like quads or hamstrings in, in relation to performance or injury risk, I'd be testing something very close to the mechanisms of those performance and injuries. Eccentrics where the muscle's being stretched. So that's where I would still incorporate isokinetics into my testing protocol. Maybe twice a year. I know that the best jumpers in the world have got eccentric peak torque uh, relative to body mass of five and a half body weights for for quads and three times body weights for eccentric hamstrings. These are my reference figures. And if I can get them up to that, if I can get them up to those values, I know that they should be robust enough to perform the, the movements well. ACLs or running and jumping for distance. That's a great answer. Appreciate it. thank you uh, thank you, just, I, think, uh, you go. I, I, I think I think that the point is you don't rule out any technology you know just because something's the flavor of the month you don't rule it out you've got to weigh it up as to what it's actually giving you you know what what are they what are the attributes you're testing if I'm looking at injury risk I'll test using the, the the mechanism as closest to that injury mechanism as it can eccentric. how am I going to do that safely? isokinetics until something else comes out that gives me that very specific information i will still use isokinetics it doesn't stop me from doing noteboard or iso squats using the force plates because they're the things i would still use more on an ongoing basis in the gymnasium or the clinic you know but you know isokinetics maybe twice a year all that they all have the plates
2: and, and you mentioned uh, buy-in and engagement as well with the coaches and that you know the importance of showing that you care and and that you, if you're you know you're passionate about the sport in terms of I guess reporting and and you know conveying the your, your assessments in a format that, that athletes can understand as well as tactical technical coaches and what are your tips for for sports scientists biomechanists SNCs in doing that effectively
0: so just, just repeat that I am sorry
2: with, with from a buyer perspective, and you talked about the importance of yeah, doing the care, yeah, but then also conveying your assessments in a in a yeah you know, in a format that is easy for for tactical technical coaches, athletes to understand. What's some of your favorite ways to, I guess, visualize that data?
0: I think that I mean looking here what I wrote down. We, we talked about the you know the the, the relationship the building. I, I think that the buy in for me once you've established that relationship, the buying comes from a performance solutions approach. When you've got the trust, have those those really deep conversations over a, a coffee or a beer on camp, and, and you just throw it out there. you know what, what What are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on that? And then when you can come up with with a, a, a nailed on performance question, you can then say, know well, have you thought about this?" You can't say "Have you thought about this?" until you've got that that relationship, because that's seen as antagonistic. Why don't 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 start a question with "Why"? You know, why Why do you do this? You mean, have you thought about this? You to this, you know. And and when you've got that performance question, you can then is which is basically grown between the the two of you, the coach and the, the SNC or the biomechanist, You can then start filling your boots and and you know having having a crack at answering it. In wh- whichever way it may come out, it could be just using data. It could be testing. I think. I think that's the other thing is don't always assume you have to test. You know, because it, as I said before, you you don't have to test. Use use and apply your basics well.
2: Yeah, so that actually brings out a good point with testing. It's probably something we haven't brought in. Like, AU. You, what's your stance on how often you test? Is it if you if there's a obviously there needs to be a strong purpose to test the athlete but is that are you, are you commonly testing the athlete to see changes, to see how they're adapting to the program and changes that need to be made? You mentioned how there's some there's some, some normative va- values that you've got. Do you like to see that every few months to sort of see how, how they're tracking? You know, sort of talk us through, I guess, the frequency of tests. Yeah. You know, I, athlete
0: again, athlete. It's, it, it's about coming up with that testing in, in a suitable time. Typically, we would have a block of anywhere between four to six weeks and then a recovery week, and within the recovery week, you would you would do your tests, which are, are not you know going to completely wipe them out. That they, there's still a reduced load with, within that week, but you you're actually getting a, a fresher athlete after a couple of days recovery. You really are focusing on on some quality information again. I I wouldn't test for testing sick. I think if you start putting things into the program. Because you are data-driven, I think that's a problem. I think data is informative when you've got the, the, the right timing for it and the right scenarios. I, I look at the way fatigue monitoring is being administered now in, in, across all you know, codes of football, and I have to say, at times, I'm bewildered. I did a, a presentation for the Isokinetics Conference uh, last year, last March, and I showed with data from how we test with jumpers at Aspire, we would do a counter movement rebound jump where we're looking at, you know, a performance metric of jump height for the counter movement and then an RSI counter movement uh, on the drop jump side, the reactive jump. Then a Sunday, which is our day one of the week, having a Friday, Saturday recovery weekend. And then we'd do eight sessions and test again on a on a Thursday lunchtime. So Sunday was warm up and then they would do uh, some mobility, then they would do a test and then Thursday after accumulation of eight sessions, it would do another jump test, same counter movement, reactive jump from Sunday to Thursday, we would see a 15% drop off in jump height. Now I'm here in, you know, in the community around the four stacks, uh, jump heights, not sensitive to, to fatigue. And I'm like, what, how can it not be? The question then is, when are you testing? OK, match day minus one, well, match day minus two, match day plus two. Are you really expecting differences? Surely the, the the way to be looking at whether an athlete has recovered from a game is to get some nailed on fatigued results. So when you know fully that that athlete is totally destroyed fatigued, that's your benchmark. Stay, I mean, I'm not saying don't do match day minus one and plus two actually get some good reference data of a, of a, of a truly fatigued athlete. So you know where they're at everything else. And in the other metrics force at zero velocity, peak and eccentric velocity, counter movement depth, all these are secondary measures that contribute to that jump height. So if, if I know that match day plus two, they are, you know, up, up to the, the threshold of their, their best performances, then they're not fatigued. You know, they it. No matter if they go deeper into a squat, they're just using more muscular effort. If they go faster and and less deep, they're using more elasticity. Is it a strategy? I I don't like that term. I I don't think athletes, when you say, then jump as high as you can, I don't think they go, should I go slow and deep or fast and short? I don't think they're doing that. So in, in terms of a strategy, it implies that they're consciously, deliberately doing it in a certain way. Is the effect of not not a strategy as such? So I mean, maybe that's me being a little bit of a being a bit pedantic. One of these pet peeves, I guess. Is there such a thing as a movement yeah, strategy, no, or, or is it a is it a consequence? You know, and and if and if they are still jumping the same height or the, with the same peak power, are they really fatigued if they spend you know point 0. zero however many seconds more? You know, in the concentric there's You know, I think that's really nitpicking and all of complicating things really
2: but on, on the strategy or strategy or, or just the simply the the pattern that the athletes use to to jump as high as they can is that something that you take note of so if they are a little bit more of a you know, hip flexion compared to knee flexion and what does that mean for you like when well, you, again, make you
0: change strategies again it comes back to testing attributes so with, with my jumpers, counter movement into a rebound jump, what am I looking for with jumpers? The, these are fast, elastic people, and, and we're looking for this elastic. That, that We used to call it the ping, as in elastic band, ping. Hmm. Have you got your ping today? So what, what we're looking for is someone who can who, who can jump relatively fresh week in, week out, um, and, and be maybe three weeks away from competing. You know, so they've got to keep this this elastic quality. So I am looking for their their ability to react in in terms of the RSI relative to the highest jump that they can can produce. There's a reactiveness relative to the the drop height essentially. Worrying too much about how they initiated the eccentric phase um, in the counter movement jump. You know, so again, if you think about qualities. Elasticity, rebound effect, for me, is more important than looking at eccentric peak velocity or depth of movement.
2: I think we've unpacked a fair bit there in terms of biomechanics, yeah. Is there anything like on the topic that you think would be important for, for listeners, I guess more so the coaches, practitioners that we haven't touched on?
0: Yeah, look, I, I think observations. And I, I, again, I apologise if this comes across as as, as being harsh. Please, as as an S&C community, and and this comes from a bundle point of view, can you focus on the the C, not just the S? sure, strength has got its place and is a quality that we want to improve. But for me, the real nugget is in the C. The C is where you're going to get your transfers into performances. Um, If you look at some of the world-class athletes out there, world record holders, they may not have set foot on an Olympic lifting platform, you know, so it's not just about the strength side of it. You know, you've got to look at, you know, how are they, how are they building the athlete to meet the demands of their, their event or their sport to try and become more biomechanically minded in, in your approach. And I think then is just that word of caution to the, the, the younger coaches who I wouldn't necessarily say trying to make a name for yourself. Don't try and complicate things. Keep things simple in terms of the assessment. Focus on your, your attributes, not the metrics. Don't, you don't have to come up with something new. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't become one of these these complexifiers. You know, one, one of the things I was taught early doors working with, with athletes and coaches way back in the 90s, is, is keep things simple. Don't overcomplicate things. Talk their language, and I think and it's not just in the S and C community. I think in in the athletics community now, you, you're getting some people who are using science as a selling tool rather than focusing on actually doing some good good conditioning work. So again, apology if that if that comes across as being too critical conditioning and do things well doesn't come away. I
2: mean certainly from my end anyway it doesn't come across that way it comes across that you're, you're clearly passionate about the field and yeah you you want everyone to be I guess well informed in how to do things and and it, it, in this industry we can get easily caught up in the next best thing but I think having that approach like you said just you know take a take a breath look at you, know, reflect on how you're doing things how can you be getting better with your processes and I mean there's some big Big rocks that you discussed the the importance of you know making sure everyone's talking medically, science, performance team, you know on the same page before working with the athlete. I mean, what a frustrating experience that like you said for the athlete to be getting pulled in all different directions. And ultimately, we want to have that athlete centered approach. So I think that was a really important message for us as an industry to to respect. And then, like you said, yeah, don't get too caught up in the in the science when when speaking to the athlete. They're probably not going to care too much about that, but. Have strong science processes and principles in place behind the scenes. I guess uh, when we're doing our analysis work and, and planning.
0: The, the, I have just seen a question no. popping. Yeah. You thought force nets were bad. Wait until pause estimation apps fully kick in. Don't, I don't yeah. know who sent that one in, but no, uh, I, yeah, they haven't got their name. there. PSG. You know, I'm involved in a couple more companies now. What one is a tech layer in shoe type assessment company called Sportscenture. Uh, and then the other one is actually a pose estimation app called NSA tech. And I think again, I mean, I, I see that it's written and, and said with a bit of a joke, there is a use for these pose estimation apps for sure. If you don't. What, what, if, what are they? What's the pose estimation? So, so pose estimation is basically kinematically tracking movement using AI algorithms. Oh yeah. So but there are a couple out there. Yeah. And you know, as I said, I'm I'm working with the NSA Tech and um it's a Qatar couple years now trying to develop a, a a solution for movement tracking. I think some of them work very well, single camera, easy to use, very coach friendly and will give you some really good information. But again, treat it for what it is. You know, if you're wanting sagittal plane knee angles and the angular velocities, I know that NSA tech is very favorable very favorably with X and in some changing direction tasks, which is you know running, accelerate, decelerate, run backwards. where your filming is predominantly single plane, you will get some religion. It goes again, it goes to what are you looking for? What metrics do you want from it? What attributes are you measuring? They can work. They can be useful. so don't 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 dismiss things on the basis that it's not millimetre accurate like a bike on the equalises. You know, I, I, would, I would argue that being able to test something on a, with your, you know, your phone camera on a tripod with four markers on the ground wearing, wearing football boots on the right surface far outweighs millimetre accuracy mm-hmm. of going with trainers on, onto a lino-type vinyl surface in a, in a lamp just so you can get all marketed up to do qualysis integrated with force players. Everyone knows, you know, a lot of biomechanists are based in universities, very expensive labs, uh, million, million pound labs. You know, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to want to sell that service. But the reality is, it's not environmentally or ecologically valid in terms of foot footwear and surface. So therefore, what do I want? Something's maybe got... Le- accurate, slightly less accurate, but accurate enough information on the field in their environment, or go to an artificial environment which is restricted for space, and then you're compromising other things that are, you know, really important. We know that if you if you try running on ice with a low friction quality, you're not going to get in the same position as wearing tra- uh, spikes on track, you know. So friction force is, is really important, and making sure it's as close as um you know, what you would expect in, uh, in in the the real scenario of match play, I think is it is just as important that often gets overlooked because of accuracy.
2: Yeah, that's actually opened up a couple of questions there. So on using AI, your, your iPhone to to get some feedback, uh, you think there's there's some merit to it. It's reliable enough to use in a yeah, elite sport?
0: I, I believe so, and I'm I'm happy to give anyone a demo. <laughs> uh, of, of the one I've been working on, not not to use this to, as a sales pitch, but I, I think so that's a change of direction. Change direction. I, I, change direction. Change, Sprinting. I wouldn't do anything like ninety degree or one eighty turns. I would go in and out backwards. Right. You know, where, where like your that. knee angle is is so you can preserve the knee angle, the sagittal plane knee angle. As soon as you start turning, okay. rotating, yeah, the 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 vantage point of the, the knee angle is going to be wrong. So keeping things sagittal, I think that it can work very well. But a change of direction. Think- so again, again, it look, what, what are you testing? Why, why did an artificial test on changing direction? 90, 180 you know, they change, they change all the time. Pre-planned movements. Again, if you try and mimic what goes on in the game, you know, you, you it's unplanned. You know. You, you want to try and take it to the quality you're looking at, and in, in, in the sense of changing direction, it's more about eccentric control. And how are you braking? So looking at the braking strategy of, did I say strategy then? Looking at how people brake, mm-hmm. having accelerated to a velocity to go down to zero velocity, to then come back on themselves, running backwards, I think gives you enough information about you know, knee angular velocities will give you an indication of how much the knee is decelerating the body. It's not it's not looking at knee moment, it's not looking at knee power. But let's not forget the you know looking at knee moments and knee powers from inverse dynamics is quite varied as well. So, you know, you don't have to you don't have to get force plates out to do a change in direction. You know, you can use kinematics and understanding your technical model allows you then to make inferences about how braking is occurring you know so technical models understanding the, the the you know the purpose of the task you know accelerate decelerate run back look at the angles the angular velocities in the context of of peak speed that you're attaining that yeah it's, it's fascinating to it's, uh... Yeah, one of your interviews, and I think it was brought up, the technical model, how
2: Frank Dick was, was highly passionate about it at the time, yeah, um, British Athletics. When building out a technical model, what are sort of your key principles? Like, say, so the population, does it need to be population-specific to the sport? Yeah, talk us talk us through that when, when you're trying to build out a technical model, perhaps when there's not one in a specific court. Like, for example, thinking of, like, would you compare an AFL athlete sprinting mechanics to a, you know, how to a sprinter is a ex- scenario.
0: I think that there are principles and there are, there are positions which influence how much speed you can generate. So acceleration wise, you know, there shouldn't be any difference. The question then, what is a limiting factor? Is it the traction from the, the floor through the, that governs how horizontal and inclined you can go? Is it the fact that you're starting more semi upright rather than coming out of blocks? probably a bit of both so you know you, you've got to you've got to look at what are the fundamental mechanics around acceleration some of which is don't make sure you don't plant your foot in front of your body and you're accelerating because center mass behind the foot it's a braking effect so you want you want to minimize any braking but when you're changing direction you want to maximize braking so you, pl- you plant your foot further in front of your body and you can achieve that by leaning backwards slightly and extending your leg. Providing you've got enough friction force so you don't slip, then you're gonna break harder, providing you've got the eccentric control, uh, muscular control to do that. So again, that's just looking at trunk position and leg position, you know? And, and I think when you think about your segmental ratios, the trunk accounts for 64%, it was, let's say, everything above the hips is 64% of the body, you know? So your two legs around about 30% each and everything above the hips around 64%, something like that. So controlling body position is going to have a huge effect. So again, un- understand understand the movement. Game-based movements are not as clear-cut. If we were to say changing direction in, in AFL or soccer, it's going to be very much situational constraint. You know, it's not like you've got to run and hit a takeoff board, which is very, con- you know, very f- focused and specific. So changing direction in games, there could be half a dozen or more different ways. forwards to backwards, forwards 90 degrees, forwards 180, sideways forward, sideways back. There's very, there's all these different ways of changing direction. And I think if you understand the acceleration, the deceleration part of it and what governs, High speed and what governs deceleration, then you can then soon map that on the physical qualities as well.
2: And the twin, you say you've got your your video analysis. Um, where you might be using AI. You've got your isometric testing, like you said, to get understanding of their capacities that he says you control. And you sort of marry up the, the two to then put a plan in place.
0: For sure, yeah. I, I think. What about? There you go. It, it's the the way you, you're linking the physical development with the injury risk of these of these types of activities and being able to be that conduit between different professions and the athlete to try and bring it all together around a technical model that says if you want to do this quicker and safer i suggest doing it this way and we can do technical coaching to develop that physical coaching to achieve those positions and also you know remedial or supplementary training with the physio you know to make them more robust so core control you know ankle stability proprioception all these other things all all combined to create the, the full package
2: Really, it's been well over an hour uh phil so mindful of your time it's late at night um but i think the yeah, the quality of uh content that you've been able to provide us mate over the last 60 minutes has been amazing Um, For those that have tuned in halfway through or perhaps at the end um, live, make sure to listen to the very start. Um, Yeah, Phil's dropped gems all the way through. So you can find this on our YouTube channel before we post it on our podcast in the next couple of weeks. Um, But for for 2024, obviously, at the start of the year of this recording, early January, what's on the horizon for you? You mentioned a couple of business opportunities that you're looking at. You're relocated back home. Yeah, what are you excited about for, for the rest
0: of the year? Oh... I would say creativity, innovation, new opportunities. Actually, getting stuck in with students again, um, sharing and passing knowledge and, and uh, to, to colleagues as well, younger colleagues who may, may, you know, be sort of honed in on the academic mindset rather than the the performance solutions mindset. So, trying to create more impact, I think, is from an academic point of view. How how can we make this how can we make research more performance solutions focused to to make sure that when we are creating an evidence base that it's quality evidence not this has been done because it's never been done before you know I think we, as our academics we've got to move away from that and and really focus on on these ch- real real good quality performance questions that's that's the thing that's going to drive me forward this next year of it and the, and for those that want to follow
2: up and and maybe have some follow-up questions or, or just to simply connect and, and follow your work. Is there
0: a best place uh, to find you? Oh, dear. I don't really do all the... Uh, link, LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. Yep. That's probably the best place. I've, I've not really the grass, the Twitter-arty. Yeah, fair enough. LinkedIn. Let, let's keep things professional. Let's go LinkedIn. Yeah.
2: yeah. Right, we'll add that tag uh, in the show notes. And you mentioned a couple of business opportunities at the moment. Is there anything people should be following or, or, or apps or anything that um, yeah, people should keep an eye at?
0: Keep, keep an eye on, on NSA tech. And as I said, if you were uh, an sports center, keep a lookout yep. for them, you know, you know, VALD, I'm, I'm through and through the VALD with four obviously. So what they're doing there is, is, is so impressive how they've really taken the four stacks on and made it a real global entity now. So keep an eye on VALD keep it real but you know watch out for sports central and uh, nsa tech as well and if anyone (laughs) wants a (coughs) a free go file period with nsa
2: tech give us a shout tech yeah we'll add the links in the show notes for those perhaps listening to the recording while driving don't sweat really um yeah find those in the in the show notes but yeah thanks again phil really appreciate it and thank you for everyone that's tuned in and our next live chat you can catch us next tuesday which will be the of Jan at 4 p.m. interviewing Daniel Jones at the Geelong Football Club. He's a strength and conditioning coach there. So uh, looking forward to seeing you guys all then. Thanks very much. Really appreciate that.
1: If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from the Collingwood Football Club. What
4: are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game
3: changes,
4: changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah,
1: yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, a Friendly additional coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll hand it over to you, Rama, to, to
2: ask your question, mate. Thanks for joining us.
3: Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was. Uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, Mate, my my question to you was you spoke quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, And I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, What are some of those things? Mm, Yeah, good question.
5: Yeah. So I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time, um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts,